This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today on the show, I'm talking to Rebecca Sheehan. She's on Instagram at Rebecca R. Sheehan, and she also hosts the podcast Momlytics. Thanks so much for joining me today, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you about stewarding our children's innocence. We're on the series on stewardship in our exploration of the Benedictine rule as applied to modern families. And we're talking in this series about stewardship. And there's a real call that I think we're even more aware of now to steward our children's innocence. You know, I think that the world hasn't necessarily gotten darker, but I think that darkness is so much more accessible in a sense in, in television, in books, in movies. And, you know, one of my favorite parenting books is Simplicity Parenting. And he talks about filtering out the adult world. And so I think it'd be great to have a conversation about how do we do that? How do we filter out the adult world and in, in essence, steward our children's innocence? I feel grateful that our kids are still four and five because I do feel like it gets so much harder as they get older and their peers become more of an influence on them because then all of a sudden it's not just up to the parents anymore. It's like when they're with their friends, you know, you can't necessarily control what information they're getting. Right. It's so true. You know, I think that so many families actually choose to homeschool partly because they want to filter out the adult world. But even in our homes, sometimes the conversations we have, you know, there are things like a bank failure going on in history right now, or, you know, a war in Ukraine and our children's bodies can take on that stress. If we're taking, if we're talking about this around them, even family stresses, like, you know, a conflict with a sibling or something that's going on in your, in your extended family can cause stress to our children. What are some of the ways that you help protect your children from current events while still, you know, maintaining a sense of empathy and compassion. So you mentioned war. It was interesting. About six months ago, um, we were at church and our uh, pastor was talking about the war in Ukraine. And I had never even mentioned the word war around my kids before, but them even being so little, they sort of understood. And they said, mommy, what's a war and what's Ukraine and what's Russia? So then I found myself sort of having to explain the whole thing to them. And I think to answer your question, my strategy is treating them like adults, which may sound counterintuitive, but you know, I, I treat them with the respect of an older person. Like they actually can understand things if I explain them in the right way. And that sort of doesn't leave any room for them to, um, to get the information elsewhere, if that makes sense. And of course that gives me the control. Like I can control the message and explain it to them in a way that's palatable to them too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it is important to have the right amount of information. You know, Corey Tenboom has an analogy about how she asked her father about sex and he said, well, it's like this suitcase. The suitcase would be too heavy for you to carry right now. And this information is too heavy for you to process. But I think that, like you said, if we wait too long with some of this information, then our kids get it from sources that aren't going to present it in as in the light that we want it presented. 
absolutely. And it's, yeah, with things that are harmful to them too, you know, obviously that there's information like that, but we talk about food a lot and I really feel strongly about like that. I don't want them to have artificial flavoring and all the chemicals in our food and how it's bad for their brain. And I kind of, I explain it to them. I tell them why. And I always talk about, um, fruit being God's candy and how it tastes so good and how it's good for them. And so, you know, I don't think anything should be off limits because that's when they really get curious about it. It's just human nature. And so I don't want to create a situation where they're binging on candy in the middle of the night when they're older, say, oh, you can have a little bit, but that's it. Yeah, that is that. Yeah, that's a good point. Because even even for some of us, like I know with my back to the conversation about sex with my older children, I probably didn't steward that very well by, you know, giving them too little information and making it too, uh, kind of off limits in a sense. This is, this is, I have seven children. There's a wide age span. So with the older ones, we were probably too secretive and treated it too much like a shameful subject. And so then that doesn't prepare children to have a very healthy attitude about it when, when they have their own experiences or, um, questions about it. We didn't set the tone right. So what are some of the things that you're doing now to just set the tone for these subjects that maybe are a little heavy for a five-year-old, but that, you know, need to be presented the right way so that they, they don't get the wrong idea about it? I guess just simplifying to the right degree. It's like never hiding something. And as you said, never making it seem off limits. So always being honest, but just sort of, um, tailoring the tailoring the explanation so that it's appropriate for their age, I think is the best thing you can do. Yeah. I love that. I think one of the worst things that we did was acting overly shocked or something. If a question came that we weren't comfortable with, you know, with, and, and that kind of reaction gives them a lot of emotion behind it. You know, with, when things come to us as parents, I think it's so important that we're just calm and like, Oh, you're curious about that. Or, Oh, you saw that. Or, you know, just not making such a big deal about it, giving them the explanation about what it means or what it doesn't mean or why they should avoid this or that, but not being so dramatic or emotional about it. So one of the things that, you know, I think is sometimes hard for us as parents to manage is our children's exposure to messages we don't agree with in media because media sources, we might think they are a trusted media source. And then all of a sudden something comes through that's like an, an idea or ideology that isn't part of our family culture. How do you curate and steward your children's media choices? Well, first of all, I tell them that um, just because someone is older and seems wiser doesn't necessarily mean that they have the right answer or that they know more than you do or that that is absolute. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, we, we do not let them watch too much TV. I'm very particular about the shows I do let them watch. I think Bluey is absolutely adorable. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. I'm not, but my, my youngest kids know about it. So it's all the rage now. And I love that they're only like nine minute long episodes. So, you know, they don't have to sit in front of the TV for hours to watch it, but it's just really sweet focuses on family. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of shows even geared towards little kids that like, you know, have 
bullying and say hate and stupid and butt and I don't know, all those bad things. So I think parents really have to um, have to have an eagle eye and really um, take control of the media that their children are consuming. And that includes, of course, social media when their kids are older. For sure. How do you handle trips to the library or some of these other situations where, you know, the library, we think it's a benign place, but sometimes there are books in there that surprise us with how inappropriate or objectionable the material is. Well, that's, of course, the hot topic now, all of those awful, controversial library books. Did you know how those how that all got started? Mm -mm. So um, before COVID, there used to be um, a very intensive process for um, for books to enter libraries and like this, you know, these committees would meet in person and discuss all of the books and whether or not they were appropriate. But, um, but during COVID, when, every, when the world was locked down, the committees didn't meet and these books just kind of came through. And now, like, the policies have not gotten back to normal, apparently. And so, I mean, there are so many of these titles that are just ridiculous. Yeah, so I think just teaching your kids or, and explaining to them, like, having them really secure in their identities and right from wrong, I think will go a long way. I think one of the most powerful ways to teach those things is through stories. You know, we love reading books like in, in the, in the past books, like the little house on the prairie or the chronicles of Narnia, or, you know, so many of the literature stories, treasures in the snow, every Patricia St. John book, the even Shackleton's Endurance, so many of these books really depict the character qualities we want our children to have. And so at the Peaceful Press, we focus through our book list on books that really cultivate um, integrity and character and compassion even. And, you know, so how do we with our children as maybe ideas are coming into their lives through schools or through books or through media, because it is hard to filter out everything. How do we cultivate compassion for people who are different while not, you know, kind of ruining their innocence or giving them ideas that are anti-biblical? We are a biblical show. I think just talking about it, having conversations about compassion and how, I mean, I always tell our kids, we, it's not our job. It's, you know, not our place to judge anybody else, even though they might do something that um, we don't think is right or that the Bible teaches us is not right, that it's still not our place to judge others. Yeah, it is really hard to, you know, keep, help our children be innocent, but also not ignorant of what, you know, what is pretty normal, really, in culture at this point. <laughs> You know, and so so what are some of the ways that you just create more of a refuge in your home? Because there are all these big ideas and big things going on in the world that are, uh, you know, that can take a lot of time and energy from us. You know, I know as a mom, sometimes reading the news, I feel scared about what's happening. I feel nervous that, oh, we're going to have food shortages or, oh, there's going to be World War Three, and they're, they're you know, antagon poking the bear and antagonizing or pushing towards nuclear war. How do you as a mom keep yourself calm so that you're not bringing that energy of, you know, stress and anxiety into your children's world? Thankfully, that's usually the stuff that I stress about right before bed when they're already asleep. And by the next morning, I'm sort of refreshed. 
But um, I think just a lot of love, a lot of compassion, and um, the stories that we read. We read a lot of um, Bible stories from the ch- this amazing children's Bible we have, and our kids really love it. And I think just those um, having those universal stories is very helpful. And also the reminder that there have been evil people since the beginning of time. And it might seem like our world is imploding right now, but it's, this is nothing new. This has been happening for thousands of years. And it's almost comforting in a way that like that we're going to be okay. So I guess I try not to freak out about it too much so that I don't kind of instill that panic in our kids. Yeah, good for you. I think that's so important, you know, because our children will pick up on how we feel about life. And so even if we are curating the atmosphere by, you know, not getting objectionable books into our homes or not putting the news on, like the news should never be played in front of young children. You know, as long as we're doing that to curate the atmosphere, but if we still are consuming too much media and not enough Bible, we're going to be anxious anyhow. And, you know, in the, in the Benedictine tradition, they read, I've, I'm going to say this almost every episode, but they read 150 Psalms every week. They read the whole Psaltery every week. And I think that was a big key to how they navigated the dark ages. I mean, they were living through the dark ages when they wrote the Benedictine rule, but they navigated that they lived with hope because they had a knowledge that yes, hard things happen. Yes, there is war and troubles and um, hardships and the enemies are at the gate, but God is our refuge and hope and ever present help in trouble. God is within her. She will not fall. God is with us. You know, there's just a constant encouragement from the Psalms that it's going to be okay, even if it does seem scary. And for me, I really do have to limit, you know, I, I've been on a Twitter fast for a week now, because I, you know, I, yes, I really, I had a, a Twitter addiction, really. I mean, I was, when things were stressful in my home or family life, I was going on Twitter, what to escape that stress? I have no idea why, but it was making, you know, making me feel even more anxious and draining my adrenals even worse. And so I've really had to curate my own media. And I love, I just um, listened to, oh, Stephen Lawson of the Monk Manual. Just, I interviewed him for a restoration home and he talked about how he is very careful about what he consumes because he, you know, we can live with hope as Christians. We can live with hope. We know God wins. And so there's an element of news that we need to know, like, okay, there's issues with the banks right now. Do we need to do something about that? There's some information we need to know. You know, there are food supply issues. We probably should have a little bit of extra food on hand. There are things we need to know, but I think that sometimes we know too much and it makes us trust more in, you know, I, I, one preacher said, if we are getting more input from news of the world than the word of God, then our discouragement is self-inflicted. That is a great point. And I think um, it's sort of limiting our, our own social media exposure. I think um, mindfulness is so important and just kind of taking stock after you spend 10, 15 minutes on Facebook or Instagram. How do I feel now versus my mood when I first started looking? And I would say nine times out of 10 or more, I feel worse or I feel, you know, FOMO that I'm not 
you know, skiing in the Alps, like this person was that I saw on social media. And I think that too, like that, that attitude can spill over into our interactions with our kids. Because if I'm doing something fun with our kids yet, but I'm thinking about all these things that other friends are doing that seem better, then how's that going to impact my interaction with my kids? It's not going to be good. So I think we're able to live in the moment, put the phones down, put it in another room. The more we can focus on our kids and have that eye contact, that, a true connection. And I think ultimately that's what brings happiness more than anything else. For sure. And I I think you really hit the nail on the head in Mothering by the Book. I talk about how staying present is one of the keys to overcoming fear. Because if we do put the phones down, turn off the TV and just sit down with our kids in the grass, life feels so hopeful, right? I mean, most of us do not have a bomb dropping in our backyard, you know, and so we can uh, just tune it out a little bit. And I know that there's a real fine balance here because we want to have compassion for people who are hurting. I mean, around the world, people are suffering hunger and suffering through war. And, but then, then also around the world, there are people living joyful lives despite what they have or don't have. My sister right now is living in a village in Rwanda and it's, you know, very simple life. The electricity sometimes is on and sometimes it's not, they go to the market and sometimes there's food they want and sometimes there isn't. But the people there are full of joy. They're thankful and happy. And I think, you know, probably for some of them, they have filtered out the world enough that they can be present and be thankful for what they do have. And so I think that, you know, we really have to be careful that we're not over-informed because whether we let our children in on that or not, we bring stress and anxiety into their lives when we are feeling that stress and anxiety. With one of the counselors I'm talking to right now, she said that a calm person can help an anxious person regulate. So if you are calm and your child is not, you can help your child just by being with you feel more calm. And so I think as parents, that's so important that we just, you know, tap into the strength from the Lord to remain calm despite what's happening in the world around us. Absolutely. And and sort of talking about that powerful connection between parent and child, um, my previous podcast episode and something that I've been doing a lot of lately that I think is so important is um, dining together as a family and also cooking together. So that's a, you know, another great example of something you can do easily accessible every day um, that sort of involves kids and it's creative and it's fun. And then there's so many studies that show that um, families who dine together instead of just, you know, on their phones or drive through in the car, um, the kids have such better uh, mental health. And, um, and I think just with a close knit family, kids feel like they can talk to you about things and hard situations. And it's just so beneficial. Yeah, that's wonderful. We I have a membership group called the Peaceful Loop. And so for the month of February, eating dinner together was our month long challenge. And it, it was amazing. Some of the stories, you know, the kids were initiating a game of glad, sad, mad, where you kind of talked about your feelings for the day, or kids were initiating these really sweet 
um, you know, setting the table or just excited about dining together as a family. So I love that you brought that up because it is such a powerful way to connect and, you know, regulate with each other. So just uh, as we close here, tell us how people can find you and your work, Rebecca. Well, my podcast is called Momlytics, like politics, but Momlytics, and you can find it anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Um, I also have a Substack, a blog called The Primrose Patriot, so you can just search um, Rebecca Sheehan on Substack and find me there. Also active on Instagram, Rebecca R. Sheehan. I am not on Twitter because it is so detrimental to my mental health. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's really fun over there, but yeah, it's definitely um, intense. So, well, thanks so much for joining today, Rebecca. It's been a delight to get to chat with you. Thanks for having me. This has been great. 